Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As a pastor, I get asked a lot of questions. The most common one is, would you say the blessing so we can eat? Right behind that one is a question like, as a Christian, can I do this? As a Christian, should I do that? When the Bible doesn't have a thou shalt not, what should I do? What is the extent of my freedom as a Christian? What are the guidelines that are placed on my liberty? What should I do in the gray areas where Scripture doesn't give me a definite command? Well, that's the subject Paul has been addressing since chapter 8 and verse 1. And this morning, we're going to look at the conclusion of this section. Now, the problem that the Corinthian church was dealing with was whether they should eat meat offered to idols. Was it right or wrong? When should they eat it? When should they not eat it? And we really have similar questions that we deal with today. Questions like, is it all right to have a glass of wine? Is it all right to smoke a pipe? Is it all right to shop on Sunday? Is it all right to play cards? Is it all right to go to movies? If so, what movies? All those questions that the Bible doesn't really address are questions that you have to answer. Several years ago, it was popular to wear the bracelet that reminded you to ask the question, what would Jesus do? That's a great question. It doesn't always help you a whole lot because Jesus could do things you couldn't do. Jesus could heal somebody. Jesus could multiply food. Jesus could walk on water. So sometimes asking the question, what would Jesus do, didn't necessarily give you a definitive answer. But in our passage this morning, Paul is going to get real practical about what Jesus would do in the gray areas of life. What Jesus would do when making choices relative to Christian liberty. And to help us understand this passage, I've picked out three principles that Paul lays out for us here. Three guiding principles for biblical decision making. When you have a decision to make, here are three questions that you need to ask yourself as you process that decision. First of all, do I have the right method? Secondly, do I have the right motive? And thirdly, do I have the right model? Let's walk through that. First of all, do I have the right method? And we see that in verses 23 to 30. How do you make decisions? What method do you use to process a decision? Well, Paul gives us four guidelines in verses 23 to 30 for making choices in the gray areas. It's kind of a grid, if you like, that you can process that choice through. The first guideline is edification over gratification. Look at verse 23 with me. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. 
Now, the Corinthians had a slogan that they liked to say, and that was, all things are lawful. Whenever they wanted to do anything, they would just say, well, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. And they would go do it. Now, I assume that this was probably a phrase that they had picked up from the Apostle Paul that he had said at one point in time. It's kind of like, you know what Paul says? All things are lawful. In fact, Paul had used this phrase earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 and verse 12. It's also true that as a pastor, you get quoted a lot. I always cringe when I hear people say, you know, like, like Dan says, and they start quoting me, and I'm kind of like, ooh, wait a minute, did I say that? Well, Paul hears this, all things are lawful, and he's going to qualify that a little bit. And so he says, yes, in the area of liberty, all things are lawful. It's not wrong, but all things are not necessarily profitable. That is, they're not beneficial. And all things are not necessarily edifying. That is, they don't always build up. You see, you shouldn't just say, I want to do something because it's not wrong. You shouldn't just say, I want to do something because it's neutral. You should say, I want to do something because it's positive. It has benefits. It builds up. If all you're doing is choosing things that are not wrong, you're not doing much. You should be choosing things that are best. I love the way Paul puts it in Philippians 1.9. He says, I want you to abound in knowledge and discernment so that you can approve the things that are excellent. I want you to grow up in your knowledge and your discernment so that you can make choices not just between right and wrong, but start making choices between good and better and best and excellent and move to those kind of choices. Most Christians, when they ask me those questions, they want to know, well, how far can I go without sinning? How far can I go and still get away with it? And Paul says our question ought to be, what can I do to accomplish the most good? How can I best build up myself and others? This word edify is the Greek word Oikodome. Oikos means house. Dome means to build. And so literally this word means to build a house. It's used figuratively in the New Testament of the idea of a believer being built up into the likeness of Christ, being strengthened in my faith, being built up in my character. You say, well, Dan... How much of what I do should edify? Well, let me give you two verses. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, which we will get to in about six months, says, let all things be done for edification. And Ephesians 4, 29 says, the only things that come out of your mouth ought to be things that edify. So when you put those two verses together, that tells me that everything you say and everything you do ought to edify, ought to build up. 
So the question when dealing with a gray area is not just what is right, and if they both happen to be right, then I'll choose whatever pleases me. The first guideline is that I ought to be asking the question, what is going to bring about the most benefit? What is going to build me up the most into the character of Christ? You know, a lot of people have expressed concern because I have lost some weight in recent months. In fact, I lost uh, about 35 pounds. And uh, I have gained back about 15, you'll be happy to know. Um, And I'm actually in better shape now than I've been in years, so don't be concerned. It's just that I have, my clothes aren't fitting. In fact, this suit was in a part of my closet that uh, I was ready to send to the thrift store. And I went back and it fits. So uh, that's a good thing. But, but I've been going to Health Point to the gym, and, and uh, earlier this week, it was really pretty day. I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday. Oh, what day was it? Beautiful day, anyway. And I was, gonna go, I was heading to the gym, and I thought, I drove by Andy's Custard, and I thought, man, it'd be nice to just get a Jumbo Chaco Rocco <laughs> and go to the park. And just sit down and enjoy that thing. Well, I had a choice to make. Do I want to go to Andy's Custard or do I want to go to the gym and work out? And I chose to go to the gym and work out because it builds me up. You see, that's the choice. Edification or gratification. We we choose that often physically. Paul's saying, I want you to make that choice spiritually. That you will do what edifies and builds up rather than just what makes you happy for the moment. That's guideline number one. Guideline number two is others over self. Look at verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now, if you didn't realize it, we are naturally self-focused. I heard about a wife who was asked how her husband and her had stayed happily married for 20 years, and she said, it's because we're both in love with the same man. We are naturally self-focused. If you don't think you are, whenever you see a group photo, who's the first person you look for? Yourself. We are self-focused. And when it comes to making decisions... We are naturally self-focused. Our first thought is, do I really want to do this? Do I really feel like doing that? And Paul says, our priority ought to be the good of others first before ourselves. And even when it comes to the area of edification, if it builds me up but tears you down, then I shouldn't do it. I'm to put the needs of others first. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. That's a pretty strong statement. Do zero from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Put others ahead of yourself. Consider others as more important 
than you. Now, that's a principle that you will not find in the philosophies of this world. The philosophies of this world say, know yourself, find yourself, assert yourself, believe in yourself, enjoy yourself. And the world is always bombarding us with the the idea that we need to be first. We get it from the commercials. Years ago, they had a commercial called, I want to buy the world a Coke. We don't hear that anymore. Nobody wants to buy the world a Coke. Commercials today are, have it your way. Do yourself a favor. I got to have my pops. You deserve a break today. It's appealing to you and the fact that you're putting yourself in the center. And you will get that because you want it. It's all centered around self. It's all centered around me. And we said last time that the root of all idolatry is what? It's greed. The root of all idolatry is putting myself in the center. And the reality is that Christ needs to be in the center of my life. And when Christ is in the center of my life, then I will be naturally trying to meet the needs of others. That's the heart of the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Wilbur Reese wrote a book called $3 Worth of God. Let me read you a little excerpt from that book. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Isn't that true of us so often? I want the warmth. I want the fuzzy feeling. I I want the peace. But I don't want the change. Well, God doesn't come in $3 portions. We get all of him, and he gets all of us, and he transforms us. And one of the ways that transformation is evident is that we love others. And so Paul says, when you're making choices in your grid, in your methodology, number one is edification over gratification. Number two is others over self. Then he gives us a third one. Liberty over legalism. You know, in this area of liberty and, and giving up your freedom... It's easy to get carried away with putting others first. I I, I can go around saying, you know what, I really can't do anything because somebody else might get offended. And you can eventually kind of get yourself in a straitjacket so you're just not doing anything at all because you're so fearful that you might offend somebody else. Because the reality is you can always find somebody who's offended by something 
if you look hard enough. So, am I offending you right now? I mean, is this tie a little too flashy? Okay. Do, do I, is my car a little too new? You know, is it okay if I shave my head? You know, if you start asking everybody, eventually they're going to tell you. You're going to find somebody who says, that really bothers me. I don't like that. And so you know what the solution is to that? Don't ask. See, if I had you all turn in a list of things that bother you, it would put me in a straitjacket. I'd say, that, oh man, my goodness, I didn't know that was bothering The reality is, it's the, it's the don't ask, don't tell policy. Just relax. Paul's saying in this, just relax, enjoy your freedom, don't get too fussy. Look at verse 25. Eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Now, that day, you didn't go into the, the butcher and say, uh, well, that's a good-looking piece of meat. I can't wait to get home, put that on the grill, and cook that puppy up. But, Mr. Butcher, could you tell me where you got that meat from? And he says, well, I don't know. I got some guy in a little cart came by, and I bought it from him. Where is the guy with the little cart? I've got to go find him and ask him where he got the meat so I can find out if this meat was ever sacrificed to an idol. No. See, Paul says, go into the butcher, say, that's a fine-looking piece of meat. Take your meat, go home, put it on your grill and cook it, and don't ask any questions. Don't put it under a microscope. Don't get over-scrupulous. Just relax. If it isn't an issue, don't make it an issue. And then notice how he supports this in verse 26, because he quotes from Psalm 24, 1, and he says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The Lord made that ox, and whether it was sacrificed to an idol or not doesn't change the fact that it's given to you by the Lord, so just enjoy that piece of meat. And then he gives a little different scenario. Look at verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you, and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. An unbeliever invites you over to eat. Now, I love the fact that this verse is in here. I love it. Because the Bible tells us that we are to be separated from the world. This verse clearly indicates we are not to be isolated from unbelievers. I love this. An unbeliever invites you over to dinner. Now, if you are an uptight, self-righteous, legalistic Christian, you don't have to worry about this verse because they're not going to invite you over. In fact, you know, it's interesting. The only person we're not to go eat with, Paul said earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, was a Christian who was living in open sin. That's the only person you say, i got to stay away from you. You're my Christian brother and you're acting like an unbeliever. But here he says, you go over to the house of an unbeliever and he says, when you go, whatever is put on the table, just eat it. Don't ask any questions. 
You know, he, he sets it down, and you start to dig in, and you go, is this bourbon chicken? Is this, is this, is this wine, or is this just that grape juice stuff? Eat it. Drink it. That's what he's saying. Go, don't ask questions. Just extend your liberty and enjoy yourself and relax. I went to uh, about, I guess it was about 10 years ago, I went to Africa. And I figured if I was going that far, I had to have a layover, so I laid over in Rome. So I spent two nights in Rome. Great experience. Walked around Rome, saw all the ruins by myself. Went to a restaurant the first night and ate the best food I've probably ever eaten, Italian food. I mean, it was, it makes sense, doesn't it? It was in Rome. <laughs> anyway, it was, I, I go in, I don't speak Italian, so, or, so, so I'm there, and they, but they had an English menu that they gave me, and so I just point at what I wanted, and, and it was so fabulous. The next night, I thought, well, why go try somewhere else? That was wonderful, and so I went back there, and I, I went back in and, and got the same thing again. It was so good, and so I was sitting there, and, and the, the owner was kind of, uh, kind of recognized me, and, and, and he didn't speak English, so it was just, but anyway, I finished my meal, and I was waiting for my check, and he comes over, and he brings a little shot glass with something kind of yellowish green, and he sits it down in front of me, and he kind of motions like this, and I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't order this, and he said, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's for you, you know, and, and uh, backed away. Well, I have no idea to this day (laughs) what was in that shot glass. But I didn't ask any questions. I drank it. You see, that's what he's saying here. Don't go in and get over-scrupulous about things. If, If you're with an unbeliever at his house, eat whatever's put in front of you. So he says, edification over gratification, others over self, Liberty over legalism. And then thirdly, condescension over condemnation. Look at verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience' sake. All right, you're you're at the house of an unbeliever, and you're just about to dig in, and there's another believer there, And he leans over to you and says, you know, this meat has been sacrificed to idols. And you say, what'd you have to tell me that for? But Paul says, if he brings that up to you, obviously it's because he has a conscience issue about it. And Paul says, if that's the case, don't eat. If you have to make a choice between offending a non-Christian, and offending a brother, offend the non-Christian. So it's a great-looking meal, but uh, I'm afraid I can't eat it right now. You see, if you and your Christian brother are fighting at the table, that's not going to be a very good message to the unbeliever anyway. And Jesus told us in John 17 that the thing that would show people that he was real was our love and our unity for each other. And so he says, in this situation, you concede to the conscience of your weaker brother. And then he makes a clarification in verse 29, because he said, for conscience sake, 
verse 28. Verse 29, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's conscience. So here's not an issue of your conscience being bothered. It's his conscience. And there are times when you have to be directed and guided by the conscience of another person. Rather than condemn them, forget you. That's silly. Grow up. You condescend. You lower yourself to the scruples of their conscience. Then I want you to look at the end of verse 29 and verse 30 because people have gotten confused by these verses, and I want want to show you what they're meaning. Look at the end of verse 29. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience... If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Now, it sounds like Paul is saying, if my conscience is clear and I give thanks, I ought to be able to do anything I want to. But that's obviously not what he's saying because that doesn't even fit in with the context. Let's look at it again. Look at verse 29. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? The point is, if I go ahead and ignore my weaker brother and eat in front of him, I am allowing my conscience or my liberty to be judged by his conscience, condemned by his conscience. In other words, what I am doing is wrong. And that's clear from the parallel. The parallel passage to this passage is Romans chapter 14. And in that passage in verse 20, Paul says this, All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So even though it's okay in my conscience to eat, if I am offending his conscience in the process, then that makes it wrong for me. I'm being judged by the standard of his conscience. And then look at verse 30. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? It would be pretty ridiculous for me to say, Lord, thank you for this food, and then eat it in front of a a weaker brother, offending him in the process and causing him to speak evil of me because of my actions. And again, there's a parallel verse to this in Romans chapter 14 and verse 16 where Paul says, therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Now, before we move on, let me add a couple footnotes so you understand this a little better. Footnote number one, I don't go searching for a person with a weaker conscience. I don't go into the room to have the meal assuming that he's there. I I don't just say, well, you know, there's probably going to be a weaker brother there, so I better not express any of my liberty. No. You see, he says in verse 28, that person comes to me. That person comes to you and says, you know, I got a problem with this, and that's when you concede. That's when you condescend to that person. And then let me add a second footnote. I modify my actions for the sake of another. I don't modify my conscience. My conscience stays the same. I I see this as something that I'm free to do, but I'm making a sacrifice for the sake of this other person. I don't become legalistic in the process. You see, if that person is not there, I'm eating. 
If that person leaves early, I'm saying to the host, if you got a microwave, we can kind of heat this meat up because I've been looking at that all night and it really looks good. Second point, and I won't spend as long on these. Do I have the right motive? That's in verses 31 and 32. You know, your motivation has a lot to do with your choices. And Paul already used the example of an Olympic athlete in this section. He talked about how an Olympic athlete will train and make sacrifices and control his body. In fact, he will make his body do things he doesn't, his body doesn't want to do. And why will he do that? Because he's motivated. He wants to get in the best physical condition that he can. He may be motivated by not letting down his teammates, but ultimately he's motivated by wanting to win. And his motivation will impact the choices that he makes. He will choose to go to the gym rather than to have Andy's custard because he's motivated by that. Let me ask you, what motivates you in your decision-making? What do you really want the end result to be of the choices that you're making in life? Well, Paul points out two motives that should be our chief focus in these two verses. First is the glory of God. Look at verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Glory means brilliance, beauty, renown. Glory means being worthy of praise and exaltation. And God's glory has really two aspects. Number one is inherent glory, and number two is ascribed glory. God has inherent glory. That means there is glory in God In fact, he is the only being in the universe that has inherent glory. No one gave it to him. No one can give it to him. In fact, if no one else existed, before he created anyone else or anything else, God was fully glorious. That's his inherent glory. But then secondly, he has ascribed glory. And that's Psalm 29.1. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the, of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. God has inherent glory. He is fully glorious. And yet he wants us to give him glory. He wants us to bring him glory. He wants us to ascribe to him glory. It's an amazing thing. I always think of that, and I always think I'm kind of like a guy with a flashlight shining it at the sun, trying to, trying to give glory to God. It's the way I feel. And yet God wants us to glorify him. And the Bible tells us there are a lot of practical ways that we can glorify God. Joshua seven nineteen says, when you confess your sins you glorify God. Romans 4.20 says, when you trust him, you glorify God. Psalm 50 says, when you thank him, you glorify God. 1 Peter 4.16 says, when you suffer for Christ, you glorify God. Philippians 4 says, when you are content, you glorify God. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, when you spread God's word, 
you glorify God. Jesus said in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified. When you pray, you glorify God. And Jesus said in John 15, 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. When I abide in Christ and his fruit comes out in my life, I glorify God. And this passage tells us that everything you do can bring glory to God. Even down to the most basic, mundane choices that you make in life. If you make a sacrifice for the sake of another person, by the choice you make on the menu, you are glorifying God. And so he says, in all that you eat, all that you say, all that you do, glorify God. And so the question that you need to ask when you're making a choice is, which one of these choices will bring the most glory to God. And if you can get this motive embedded in your heart, guess what? You won't have to worry about the method. You won't have to write the four principles in point one on your hand, go through them every time. If your motive is to glorify God, and you're asking the question, which choice can I make that will bring most glory to God, you'll be all right. And then the second motive is the salvation of others. Notice verse 32. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now, those are the three categories of mankind. That's all there is. Jews, Greeks, and the church of God, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And he says, don't offend them. Why not? Well, he concludes this sentence at the end of verse 33, where he says, notice the phrase, so that they may be saved. Why am I not offending people? So that I want to see them saved. That's the motivation that I should have. When people are offended by the gospel, that's their problem. When people are offended by my actions, that's my problem. You see, I'm not to be offending people by my actions in the process of getting the gospel to them because I want to see them saved. When you make choices, do you think, which one of these choices is going to give me the best opportunity to bring someone else to Christ? I talked about questions that people asked me earlier. One of my favorite questions is when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm going to be with my family at Thanksgiving or Christmas or the holidays And I really want some advice because I would like to know how to share the gospel with them. That's a great question because that tells me you've got the right motivation. Story is told about two guys who were walking along a Mexican beach and they noticed a man in the distance. And as they got closer, they saw that he was bending over and throwing something into the sea. Closer they got, they realized he was picking up starfish left on the beach by the outgoing tide, and he was throwing them back into the water. They asked what he was doing, and the man said, I'm throwing the starfish back out to the sea, because if I don't, they'll die. And one of the men said, well, I understand that part, but look at this beach. It's covered with starfish. There must be thousands of them stranded out here. How do you think you're making a difference? And he picked up a starfish and he threw it into the sea and he said, I just made a difference for that one. 
when it comes to the souls of men. Are you just taking a walk on the beach? Or are you making a difference in their lives? Are you motivated by God's glory and the salvation of others? Third question, do I have the right model? And that's in verse 33 and then the first verse in chapter 11. Notice verse 33. Paul says, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. You've heard it said, I'd rather hear a sermon any day than see one. No, you didn't hear that, did you? What you heard was, I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. And that's what Paul was all about. He not only preached, but he said, watch my life. I'm practicing what I'm preaching. He said, I'm not seeking my own profit. I am seeking the profit of others. And what's the profit of others? Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And so Paul says, I don't offend others by my actions. I please others. I seek their profit over my own so that they might be saved. One of the things I try to do when I'm speaking is not use the word always because it gets me in trouble. If I say, I always do this or you always do that, immediately I'm going to have my point picked apart. But it's interesting to me that Paul says here, I please all men in all things. That's always. He says, I'm always pleasing men in everything. And nobody's standing up and saying, wait a minute, I'm going to call you on that. That's an amazing statement. Can you say that? I always please everybody else all the time. Paul could say that. And that's why he can say what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me. Follow me. And then notice he adds, just as I also am of Christ. You follow me because I'm following Jesus. I think some of us don't necessarily want to know what Jesus would do because we don't want to do it. It's kind of like the the mom who was making pancakes with her five-year-old and her three-year-old, and and, uh, the boys began to argue over who was going to get the first pancake, and so she thought this was a great opportunity for a lesson. So she said, uh, you know, if Jesus was here, he would say, I want my brother to have the first pancake. And so Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. What would Jesus do? Paul was doing it. Let me ask you something. Who, who is your hero? Who do you, who, whose poster do you have on your bedroom wall? Who do you emulate in life? Who do you want to be like when you grow up? Paul's a great model 
But if you don't choose Paul, follow someone who is following Jesus. Do what the person is doing who's doing what Jesus would do. And what would Jesus do? Choose things that build up over things that just satisfy. Put others ahead of yourself. Relax and enjoy your liberty in Christ, but when it will offend another person, give it up. And do everything for the glory of God and for the salvation of others. And then you can say, I'm doing what Jesus would do. Imitate me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this passage that's so practical about choices that we make. And Father, I pray that we would truly learn how to make choices that glorify you. How to make choices that ultimately are choices that we're making in following Christ in doing what Jesus would do. And Lord, I pray that you would embed those motives on our heart, the motive to glorify you, the motive to see other people come to Jesus Christ. And Father, may that be the motives that drive the choices that we make, even in the smallest areas of life. And we thank you for the privilege of doing that to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name.